It's time for Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. Ken loves talking all about mobility changes, while Sasha loves the latest technology, and Jack just wants things to stay as they are. So here they are, the opinionated trio with a futuristic twist, the Roadworthy Drive crew. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome to hour number two of Roadworthy Drive, America's premier mobility news and technology talk show. I'm Ken Chester in studio with Sasha Little and Jack DeLeon. Together, we are the Roadworthy Drive crew. Thank you for sticking around. While both hours of our show is intense and information-packed, we have recently retooled our second hour for even more excitement and information. On tap... Custom Everything, the slow, painful death of mass market goods, our brand new Tech with Sasha segment, and you're not going to want to miss that. And then finally, Car Talk, we discuss the 2019 Mazda CX-9 crossover. It's big, it's bold, and find out if there's still some zoom zoom to it. We explore. As always, we want to hear from you, our faithful listener. You can always reach out to us via the Roadworthy Drive line. that number, 872 872- 222-9793 or you can reach us by email that's ken at roadworthydrive.net either way connects you to the show speaking of the crew back for a second hour is everyone's favorite uncle and designated adult in the room jack de Leon. holding things down now at mic number one is that radiant light of laser focus sasha little how are we doing folks i'm getting replaced ah, <laughs> nah nobody can replace you jack. nobody can replace jack i'm i'm okay i'm just a little bit nervous about using the new one but you know what we're gonna go hammer it through we are indeed um Let's talk about this. Imagine driving to the South Pole in a powered, a solar-powered electric vehicle, and get this, made of 3D printed garbage. What? Yeah. 3D printed garbage. garbage. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All the way to the salt. It's known as the Solar Voyager, and the project is known as Clean to Number 2 Antarctica, is a part of the Dutch couple's support for a zero-waste lifestyle. I'm not even going to pronounce their names because it's very Dutch, and I would totally mess it up. <laughs> but basically, this couple created a goal to take plastic waste and do something extraordinary with it. The idea... The idea they eventually landed on was to use plastic waste to build a solar-powered electric vehicle capable of driving them to the South Pole. And now this is unique as opposed to electric snowmobiles that are out there already. Um, They wanted to think outside the box. So hence the decision for plastic waste, and they designed something they called a new hexagonal building block known as HexCore using recycled materials. And they began small with their own plastic trash, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, this, According to the team, this is what they did. They shredded the pieces, melted it down in a filament that feeds 3D printers. Then we took it to the next level and did it on an industrial scale using recycled pellets from a waste plant with 40, 40 3D printers. They printed 4,000 of these hex cores, a building block inspired by the honeycomb designed to be light and strong. And then they took those building blocks and combined them to form the structure of their vehicle. Now, the Solar Voyager ultimately consists of a four-wheeled buggy towing a pair of two-wheeled trailers. The trailers 
support 10 what they call bifacial solar panels and store supplies, including, would you believe this, 47 days worth of food. Wow. Yeah. Now, they're not lugging along water. Um, They're using the ice around them for drinking water. Imagine South Pole ice. What a concept. Okay. Um, It will be melted in six solar vacuum tubes. Now, they've also went as far as using infrared windows installed in the cab to help absorb sunlight and keep the cab warm. Um, What do you think of something like this weighs? Any guess? No clue. Would you believe just over a ton and a half, about 3,300 pounds? And uh, they consider that well relatively lightweight, considering the gear needed to keep the solar voyager moving and keep the couple alive. Which, of course, South Pole, given the inhospitable conditions, kind of a major thing. Okay, so now, am I the only one that is kind of curious as to who they're going to convince to go into this buggy? Buggy, considering what could happen. They are if- the couple who bait it is the ones that are using it to go to the South Pole. Oh, yeah, that's got yeah, it's called put up or shut up. They put up. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, they're not trying to get somebody else to volunteer. Yes, sir. Here's my question. Yeah. Do they have to transport this someplace until they get to ice? Correct. Well, I'm imagining it probably would depend on time of year um, where there's enough ice to do what they got to do. I think the part of the South Pole they're going doesn't ever melt. Well, you would think so, yes. Yeah, well, <laughs> climate but change. But I'm assuming either they're building it there. Oh, I or see what you're saying. Ah, or gotcha. Or yeah. they're building it someplace else, have to ship it to some point where the ice Good is, point. offload it, and then move on. Well, Good I point. can tell you, they worked out all the kinks of this thing uh, in Iceland. So they well, were that's probably, a good place to do it. Yeah. Now, they said that the journey, which is roughly just under 1,500 miles, when they, when they get it to the South Pole, if it all goes to plan, it should take them about, th- about a month, about 30 days. Wow. They, now, they're doing it in the summer, so they're looking at summer temperatures. Uh, the high, yeah, 22 degrees below zero. That's oh. a heat wave. And 24-hour sunlight, although the last part's probably a good thing. Um, they want, they, now, somebody would ask, why Antarctica? Um, solar races occur in the U.S., Europe, and Asia all the time. But Antarctica has special significance uh, for the team. Uh, And here's their point. Antarctica contains 90% of the world's ice and belongs to no one. It is zero waste by law, making it the perfect destination for a zero waste adventure. They can learn from Antarctica and make sure it stays that way. And they want to raise awareness for the Antarctic Treaty, that if it's not extended to 2048, um, it could be opened for commercial exploitation. And we all know what happens when that happens. (laughs) Right. Are you telling me that there is actually a government in Antarctica? No. There's a world treaty uh, that specifies that it can't be commercialized, that there can be no waste left. You know, you can go all over it, but you can't leave anything. Pick up after yourself. Basically, Basically. you bring it in, you bring it out. Okay. Um, Which I thought was pretty cool. But And there's a blog. Gee, Mm -hmm. what a concept. Uh, But, yeah. A solar-powered car made of 3D-printed garbage. I had to share that. I thought it was pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That is actually pretty crazy. Um, speaking of crazy, uh-huh. let me throw this at you. Going to the other end of the spectrum, uh, ExxonMobil hit by lawsuit by New York Attorney General on climate change costs. 
Uh, the state's attorney general believes and alleges that the oil giant misled investors regarding the financial risk it faces from climate change. They say that the attorney general says that for years, Exxon told its investors it was accounting for the likelihood of increasingly stringent regulation of greenhouse gas emissions, which are driving climate change, and Exxon emits in large quantities, and said it was applying escalating costs in its planning. However, um, Exxon didn't abide by these representations and did less than it claimed, uh, deceiving investors as to the company's true financial exposure to increasing regulations and policies adopted to mitigate the adverse effects of climate change. In other words, they said they were doing, they weren't doing. So it's a little crazy. It is a little crazy, but I also have to applaud what they're trying to do. Uh, The attorney general's office? Or ExxonMobil. Uh, I mean, get, am I allowed to list favorites? Uh, no. <laughs> but the point is, the Attorney General's office alleges that ExxonMobil was underdoing what they told investors they were doing in preparation for climate change. Color me shocked. Yeah, I know. I am I am just shocked. But climate change is a thing. Yes, it is. Um, it is going to affect any fossil fuel production company over time. Um, pro or con, and particularly as we move to a more electric and less fossil fuel uh, controlled uh, economy and environment, these things are going to happen. So I don't think this is the end of things as we know it. Uh, But it's interesting that, you know, the attorney general would take a stand like that against one of the largest um, oil companies in the world. And bravo to him for making that her bravo to her. Mm-hmm. For making that kind of investment. Yeah. But the real question is, and I remember we've talked about this. Right. Uh, that according to ExxonMobil, what they're saying in public is they don't expect electric vehicles to have a, much of a major impact until about 2050. And 2050. 2050. That's not true. I wouldn't think so. Uh, we're thinking more reality could be as early as 2030 that we'll see some sort of impact from electric vehicles and this move towards fossil free use, um, renewables, things like that. So I guess we'll just have to see and uh, we'll continue to report on this, particularly if they go after anybody else per se. Right. So food for thought. Okay. Um, coming up next. Having everything your way. It's a thing, and it's possible, and it's next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You are tuned in to Roadworthy Drive on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. to show you how science helped create a new Mercury Marquis standard of driving comfort for 79. The most scientifically engineered Marquis in history and most beautiful. Computer-assisted design makes Marquis more spacious. No car in its class has higher ratings for room or trunk space. A new steering ratio makes Marquis more responsive. Even Marquis' ride has been re-engineered. Corners flatter, takes dips and bumps with greater stability. Test Marquis' new standard of driving comfort yourself. you're just joining us, this is Roadworthy Drive with Ken, Jack, and Sasha, better known as the Roadworthy Drive crew. Custom everything. Used to be that the mass market was the way to go. 
Uniform quality, low prices, vast selection. In today's tech world, it's possible to have it. To paraphrase an old Burger King commercial, your way. Perhaps for a little bit more, but in the same or better quality with your desires and preferences built in. Imagine the possibilities. Um, there is a changing of everything. It seems that with tech nowadays, everything's on the table. And I guess mass marketing is another thing. A mass production is another subject that is subject to fall. In the early part of the last of the 20th century, there were three main industries. It was mass manufacturing, mass distribution, and mass communications. This completely reshaped consumer behavior. I mean, imagine being able to go into a store and buy um, the same product that's made the same way, consistently, consistent quality, flavor, taste, experience. The experience was always the same. And they built millions upon millions, whether it was a can of Pepsi to a loaf of bread. Okay, but how much of that was is actually for the benefit of society? Well, considering that being able to give a good quality item over and over at a reasonable price, mass production allowed Sasha, the ability to lower prices because you made so many much of it, and because of distribution and logistics, everyone could have the benefits of mass-produced goods. In other words, uh, appealing to the most people who would buy it at the lowest common denominator, be price, quality, standard. It's good enough. It may not be the best, but it's good enough. Okay, but again, my question is, with mass production... Um, you're talking food quality, but I'm talking more of mass production, you know, shirts, clothing, attire. Um, we're seeing it in housing structures. I mean, how much of that, it takes away the individualism of people, and it makes us more, I mean, I think as a society, I don't think that that was for the better. Considering the ability of what mass production was able to do, it lowered the price of goods because you were able to make so many over and over. Right. It allowed people a higher standard of living because they could afford better goods. Were they the best goods? Were they the special goods? They were, they were decent quality. Perhaps not best quality, but then again, best quality back in the day would always cost more yeah. and be a bit rare, which meant if you had the money, you could buy it. Okay, but for the mass, for the masses, for the millions of Americans after World War II, mass production um, of quality goods uh, set a whole new ball game. After the war, the pent up desire for automobiles, housing appliances, homes uh, gave a challenge to American business to provide these goods in the most, um, the quickest way possible, at the highest quality possible, at the lowest price possible. And that is what mass production did for you because you could spread those development costs, those marketing costs, those logistical costs over millions of units as opposed to uh, a small number of units. Okay, so riddle me this. In a factory where everything is autonomously made, mm -hmm. okay, mm -hmm. and you're using the same amount of goods, all mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. how different would that be for someone to call up and now it's just a practice of, reprogramming that one computer um, to make a size, you know, make it a little bit spicier. Just well, that one batch. It's a brave new world now with AI and 
um, the logistics and computerization and files and the deep machine learning. Right. We're getting to a point where custom goods, in fact, give automakers an example. Okay. Where now automakers have the ability to build anything in some plants from a two-door coupe to an SUV in, on the same line um, in order. Yeah. So in other words, you're not running a day of coupes and a day of SUVs. You could have a four-door sedan, a two-door coupe, a small crossover, and a pickup truck theoretically on the same production line one after the other because of the commonality of what was underneath, but also because of the system's ability to respond to consumer preference and consumer order. So the auto industry's done it, but they're about to go even further. Okay. Consider, if you will, we, you and I have talked a lot about uh, the electric car. Yes. Imagine a vehicle that is not subject to engine size, um, and all the other parts of internal combustion engines, Okay, uh, because that's all in what they call a roller skate format. The uh, traction motors and the batteries are all uh, below the car. They're yep. all, in a, all in a one piece underneath the car. It meant everything built above the wheels could be pretty much any thing you want. Mm -hmm. Well, and we've talked about that. That uh, I think it was one of those where it was like a futuristic concept. Where if you wanted, based on that platform, if you wanted it to be a four-seater, if you wanted it to be a two-seater, if you wanted it to be seats all around the you know compartment area, if you wanted it to be for storage and transport, it was just a matter of like almost like Lego pieces, putting them together, um, and then that was it. We talked about over the last couple of years two different examples. There was a fella in California. Mm -hmm. who was building custom vehicles based on a platform that yep. were extremely custom. Yes, And yes. had the ability to do it. And the assembly plant he was using was basically the size of a grocery store. Because he was able to do that customization and he wasn't building in millions and millions, but yet was able to do custom work profitably, Right. Uh, it was much smaller. Also, we talked about an electric... Um, cargo truck company yes, uh, yes that was building plants uh, around the world yep that could put different configurations of a delivery truck together uh, with ridiculously few people in like a few hours from nothing um, still waiting to hear on that and they were electric truck manufacturers I recall do you remember if any of these were using 3d printers I believe that the fellow in California was thank you I was, was not that too was not sure that the truck manufacturer was right I, but the kicker is if you take that out we're using vehicles because we talk about mobility right but you start multiplying that about different experiences uh, for example Netflix yes absolutely um and that run to completely different shows that you would have never seen on network TV before so this has wide applications. Uh, in our future. And custom, the way you want it, like Burger King, may in fact be the way to go, just the way you want it. Um, next, this might qualify as a rant-worthy moment, or not, but it's not me. It's Sasha, <laughs> and then see what's on her mind coming up. Rant? I don't know what you mean. Yes, a rant, Sasha. Um, even though it's about technology, it's still a rant. It's just talking about how I felt going back into my car. Well, folks, I guess you'll have to see if I'm right. And that's next. Next.
Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You are tuned in to Roadworthy Drive on the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester of the Roadworthy Drive crew. So glad you could be with us. By the way, have you visited our website? RoadworthyDrive.com has so much. Audio of past shows, video of our behind-the-scenes antics, and so much more. You can even find out where we are in the world of social media. Sasha is our super-duper social media diva, and she keeps things light and lively during the week between shows. See how she keeps the social in our social media. And for those of you who are truly mobile, you can find us also on Google Play. And now, without further ado, the segment you've all been waiting for, (laughs) Tech with Sasha. Take it away, Sasha. Okay, well, after that kind of introduction, um, today, this week, I actually didn't get a car to drive home. And that had me going back into my 2002 Pontiac, Montana. Yeah. Uh, fully loaded at the time in 2002 when it was probably produced in 2001. And Doraville, he- Georgia, <laughs> all the way. So for me, as you, if you've been following me on Snapchat or Facebook or even Instagram, I've been uh, basically commuting between a 2018 to a 2019, okay? When I went back to my van, and it's probably been, what, a month, three weeks, four weeks since I had driven my van. And I'm going home, and I set the cruise control, and I almost got into a wreck. Why is that? I didn't have adaptive cruise control. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> you are Miss Technology. I you forgot. were so addicted to the tech <laughs> that you overtrusted and assumed. Yeah. Oh my. And that was just in four weeks, Ken. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now here's and it brought to me another situation where I'm just like, oh well, silly me. So then I had to change lanes. Okay. Again, on my trek home. And I looked, I looked again, I went to turn, and there was a honk. What? There was, somebody had also changed lanes from the, because I was on a three lane, somebody had also changed lanes into the lane that I wanted to go to in that blink of an eye after I had already looked twice, and when I was going to turn, he honked at me. Oh, for a minute there, I thought you were talking about geese. (laughs) Stop it, It is the season, you know, Canadian geese, honk, honk. But again, another feature that I had gone without Lane what, change mitigation. No. Lane change Blind warning. spot. Ah. B- blind blind spot, spot alert. Yes. And so it got me thinking, how many of us, if you're driving a newer vehicle, and Ken, why don't you tell us the years that we're actually looking for? Pretty much 2011 and newer. Okay. So if you're talking about 2011 and newer, and let's say even if you didn't get full, like uh, fully loaded, okay, you're still going to have some... Um, standardized face safety features that are no longer or, you know, weren't there previously. And again, I'm driving a 2002 and it just put into perspective how much we actually trust our vehicles at this point. Um, how much we actually um, put into our vehicles. Like, again, with the adaptive cruise control, I've talked to people that actually use that adaptive cruise control to bring them to a full, complete stop. If there's somebody in front of them and they're getting off of an on-ramp or off an, an off-ramp, 
they will allow that adaptive cruise control to bring them to a full and complete stop. Okay, but it's important to note here that adaptive cruise control, it's actually an advanced uh, version of advanced cruise control. Usually it's called with stop and go. Right. Because the original advanced cruise control, which was actually Mercedes-Benz Distronic Plus, uh, kept speed with the vehicle uh, in front of you, Mm -hmm. but didn't have the ability to come to a complete stop. Now, uh, adaptive cruise control uh, systems do, but not all of them. Not all of them, but my point was in simple things like that, um, how much is this technology actually taking away from our awareness of our situations and of our surroundings, period? Yeah. Can, my biggest beef now uh-huh. is uh, automatic high beam. Automatic yes. high beams. No. Yes. Bring back my floor sw- dimmer oh, switch. Bring floor back my mounted dimmer. Yes. floor dimmer switch, yes. please. Absolutely. I know how to hit high beams, low beams. Uh, the thing, yeah, it sees a street light, it freaks out. Yeah, and see, mine was when I was driving the newer cars. If it saw one of the like the no passing signs, okay, with the high one of the new ones with the high reflective paint, it would think that that was a new car, and my high beams would go down. Um, the other thing that I'm really thankful for NHTSA for, uh, thank you people for the um, new safety regulations when it came to the luminous for headlights. Because my headlights on bright uh, were not even equal to the standardized fog lights on these new vehicles. Probably you owe that thanks to the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety, which specified uh, lumens and brightness and started uh, started reviewing that and testing it right. in order to get to their top pick. And top pick plus. Well, and again, it was these little things that, I mean, something as simple as headlights, something as simple as blind spots, something, I mean, the rear view camera has never really impressed me. It's not my thing. But something. But you use it. I've seen you use it. <laughs> I did use it, yes. Mm-hmm. It helps me, you know, actually park like straight. I was, you know, woo-hoo. But, I mean, here's my Pontiac Montana, which they no longer make anymore, that was Top of the line, it has every single feature that you could have ordered for that vehicle. And I went back into it finding just how I don't, I hesitate because I know there's a lot of you out there that are driving that kind of vehicle or older, but how Stone Age it was compared. Ouch, sister, that's kind of harsh. I mean, I, Stone Age, really? I almost expected me to have to pedal it. Hey, don't be hating on Fred Flintstone. That's all I got. How much of these technologies are spoiling us? People complain about, you know, they don't trust autonomous. They don't trust self-driving cars. But even in our cars, the 2018s, 2011 and up, how much of that is taking away from our own awareness? I'll give you two early examples. Go ahead, sir. Uh, Traction control. Yes, sir. And analog brakes. Yes, sir. When in my time, I... Prior to analog brakes. Right, right. You know, you went through a puddle, you applied pressure to dry out your brakes. Yep. Uh, you came up on something, you started to skid, you would pump your brakes to keep the tires from locking up. Yeah. Um, with traction control, stability control, uh, you had to know how to respond to being in a skid. Today, with today's systems, there's no such thing. Well, I mean, and I noticed taking a curve in my Pontiac. I mean, and not a hard curve, but I mean, I was like, oh my goodness, am I going to make this? And it's that kind of thing that it really alerted me how far we've come. All, it, all I got to say, yes, sir. Bring back my floor-mounted, 
high beam dimmer switch. I am all for that. That is I miss one it. Pace. My 1965 yes. Plymouth yes. Valiant 200. Yes. Bring it back, please. Yes. Al- I, although. Yes, sir. You can keep the hand-mounted uh, horn switch on the 78, 79 Fords. Those were horrible. I did not. That is the one thing that has not changed, except for that one model, where the horn is. Everything else that I've tried to test drive, all over the place mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as to where they put what. All kinds of stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and now um, people with, uh, you know, remembering to turn on your headlights. Mm-hmm. Now you don't have to. You set it to auto, it's fine. Yep. Although I will give this, and this happened to me, please, 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 if you're driving a late model car or truck, make sure if you're going to be out in the darkness that you actually have it set to auto. Uh, don't assume that your daytime running lights are your headlights because you have no taillights and nobody can see you. I fell for that. Finally, we end this hour with a bit of car talk. This week, it's the 2019 Mazda CX-9 crossover. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You are listening to Roadworthy Drive. Tuning in, this is the final segment of the second hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm in. I'm Ken Chester in studio with Jack. <laughs> Should I even try this again? I am Ken Chester. Honestly, I am uh, in studio with Sasha Little and Jack Deliana, the Roadworthy Drive crew. Since we are a mobility show, we still talk about current vehicles that are available in the marketplace. We often get to drive and review the best and newest that's available to American motorists. This week, we're going to talk about the 2019 Mazda CX-9 crossover. Crossover. That is a very interesting word that they choose to use. And let me describe this vehicle before we go into, like, the the technical things. So, from the outside, it looks very sporty. Um, It looks like one of those jelly beans that they just kind of elongated. Um, it's got some really nice sporty lines to it. I actually thought that it was an SUV when uh, when you pulled up. Because, again, I don't get to drive this one, um, although I am going to sneak in some bits for the uh, wheels of non-consent. Mm-hmm. So you might want to tune into my Snapchat. But um, with this particular one, when I got on the interior, I was actually fairly impressed. Um, the leg room that was in the back seat, which I climb into the back seat c- because I think that's important. Um, leg space, and I put the seats all the way back in the front seat, was still very, very nice. And I love the trunk space because I can actually go grocery shopping in it for my family of five and not have to worry about the children holding on to bags. Well, a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mazda is doing, like most automakers, and muddying the water a little bit because they actually call it a crossover SUV, which I think is disingenuous, but that's what they call it. Right. Did this one have all-wheel drive? Yes. Okay. Now... There are levels, and the one that we reviewed is actually the the top-of-the-line signature. Yes, it Um, is. It is, again, the the top-of-the-line. You've got uh, the CX-9 Sport, Grand Touring. um, I'm sorry, Sport, Touring, Grand Touring, and Signature um, levels. And this one at signature level is all-wheel drive. But here's an interesting thing. Okay. Um, This flagship, and Mazda calls it its flagship, Uh is actually powered by a 2.5. Five liter four cylinder turbo engine. I did not feel that turbo. Yeah. I, I tried to affect that turbo, um, was not feeling that turbo. But the point is, it's not designed for quick getaway, it's more designed for smooth operation. The thing that impressed me is the fact that 
in terms of the smooth operation, given the weight and size of the vehicle, uh-huh. that it would be able to do the job at all. And it does it quite well. Also, it gets 20 city, 26 highway. This is an all-wheel drive vehicle. I was averaging in my travels between 23 and 24 miles a gallon. Okay. And then- at uh, <clears throat> elevated rates of speed. And that's all I'm <laughs> going to admit to. I mean, I did get to ride in it um, and drive it a little bit. It, it did have a very nice uh, flowing ride. But again, let's talk about this price point. Who are they actually think that they are gearing this vehicle for? Because what? I'm coming from a mom's point of view with two teenage daughters, one that's a preteen that thinks she's 23, and one very precocious eight-year-old child. So, I mean, who are they? Are they speaking to me as a 30-something-year-old woman with children? Actually, they are, and I hate to break the news to you. For its size and weight, uh huh, it's average priced at forty. At, ah, just to get the CX nine Sports front wheel drive starts at thirty two thousand two eighty. The one that we test drove actually with with options with everything. Came, yeah, loaded to the gills with everything. Mm-hmm. Came in at forty nine thousand uh, two thirty. And for that particular for signature, which is all wheel drive, it comes all wheel drive. It starts at 45,365. Right, because I mean the one thing that you can go without, I mean that they are adding on is the rear entertainment system. I mean in today's I mean that's costing you an extra $2,000. I was not impressed. I know that some families if they're ta- you know younger children, but if you've got older children, they've got their own cell phones. It, shoot, a lot of younger children do between cell phone, tablet, uh, yeah. A whole host of other things that I you think, can be amused by. And let's uh, talk I about I wouldn't spend a the money either. How many times are we actually seeing those rear? I mean, they were all the rage. Anybody remember the Warner Brother edition? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but now I'm not seeing, and we drive a lot of the top of the line. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing um, entertainment packages even being available to put in. And this one actually has it. And if you, and again, you'll have to wait to see the pictures. How they designed those monitors in the back. And that's pretty standard, actually. Um, was a little funky. I mean, I prefer it when they actually do it in the headset. The yeah, sales, but, they, but they haven't done that in quite a few years. Uh, <clears throat> which honestly, again, yeah. Which, again, we just talked about that they haven't done the rear entertainment in exactly. quite a few years. But let me throw this at you. Uh-huh. You know, we talk about safety, and safety is yes. a big deal. Yes. Um, the Mazda CX-9 was a 2017 Insurance Institute for Highway Safety top safety pick plus which is their top rank. Uh, it includes, for standard safety equipment, smart city brake support. That's for all models. Standard blind spot monitoring, as Sasha was just talking in her last piece, <laughs> right. with cro- rear cross-traffic alert. Again, yes. all models. Um, on touring and above, high beam control, lane departure warning, lane keep assist, Mazda radar cruise control, and here you go, uh, with new stop and go function. <laughs> Smart yes. brake support. I have it back. Now, yes. Okay. But it actually comes some more. Uh-huh. Active driving display, um, again, on Grand Touring and Signature, includes traffic sign recognition. And if you're not familiar with what that is, mm. you act, it actually reads the traffic signs and shows you. Yes, like, it does. Speed limit signs, stop yep. signs, other types of signs in the dashboard in front of you. Not to mention that the signature also had a heads-up display. See, and I love that heads-up display. I mean, anything that they can do to make sure that I'm staring straight out my windshield, I think is a plus. Mm-hmm. Now, the one thing it didn't have that I think Sasha was a little heartbroken Thank about you, sir. Thank is you, sir. your panoramic 
few? I th- yes, sir. I get a little. I mean, it's little standard size sunroof, moonroof, whatever you want to call it, um, up there between the driver and the passenger. Um, all this beautiful space that could have been a beautiful panoramic, so that way you know the children and everyone could you know stargaze with us. That was not there, sir. Understood. But, but look at all the safety stuff. And here's a little fun fact. <laughs> Do you realize that even though it's built in Japan, uh-huh. they can't sell it there because it's too big? Oh. It does not oh. meet it does not meet their standards. <laughs> it's too big. Uh-huh. Also, that it's the second generation. This originally came out in 2007 as a 2008 model first generation and that was completely redesigned back in 2016. I have to insert this as parents. I think we all just heard the uh, uh, Muppets um, second movie where he was like, "I, you know, this car is so big. Oh, no. Uh, finally, mm-hmm. uh, it comes standard with low-speed autonomous emergency braking. Yeah, I'm going to have to test that out, folks. Let's hope not. Yes. No. Yeah. And, again, we have mentioned the blind spot monitoring, which yes. we know that uh, – no new car that <laughs> Sasha drives should be without people. No, because people, especially in a three-lane, you don't know when that person in the far one's going to join the middle one. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> – oh, well. Right. And that's the CX-9. Now, that concludes our program for this week. Be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when we do this all over again. On behalf of myself, Sasha, and Jack, thanks for listening. Roadworthy Drive is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of Roadworthy Drive Productions Incorporated.